Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself, at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I experiment with my business? And, um, Frankly, I think we're in a period right now where there's a lot of experimentation with businesses going on, uh, much of it shoved down our throat. Um, uh, as we record this now on August 30th, and, and now I'm calling this the inter-pandemic period, no longer trans-pandemic, because I'm not sure we're emerging from anything. We're just going from one pandemic into another, unfortunately. Um, you know, those, those of us who remember the before time, remember that we had businesses that were operating kind of the same way that they had for the last few years and things were going as they were, they were going however they were going, but we didn't have, we didn't have massive social and economic upheaval uh, changing our environment around us radically overnight. And as a consequence, uh, I think many companies have, have been forced to whether they want to or not to experiment with their businesses in order to survive. We've had, um, uh, one guest, David Audrain, who came on and, and talked about how adding new revenue streams, although he didn't he didn't do it necessarily in react necessarily in reaction to the pandemic, most likely saved his business. And Lauren Fernandez, who's been on the show a couple of times now, uh, I know that she's very big into advising her restaurant clients and how they can diversify their revenue streams uh, because it's hard to make it in a restaurant if uh, if people can't either aren't allowed to be in it or don't want to be in it because they're concerned about, you know, contracting a potentially deadly virus. Um, and, and that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. So w- what I would like to do and what I'm going to do, whether you like it or not, it's happening. Uh, what we're going to do with today's show is we're going to talk about the process of experimenting with, with the business or should I experiment with my business? Because even though coronavirus in effect, has forced us, many of us, to experiment with our business. I imagine our guest is going to come on and tell us that experimenting with business with a business is, is has always been, under the right circumstances, a pretty good idea to consider. Um, again, we're just now forced to think of things differently because if we think of things the same, uh, for most of us, it isn't. It's just not going to work out. So, joining us to help us talk about this and think about this issue is Marty Constant who is a workplace futurist and the best-selling author of Activate Your Agile Career. She holds an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and is a former technology executive that has worked in Silicon Valley. As a top career influencer, she has been featured in media outlets such as NBC, Forbes, The Muse, and has worked in many in companies like Samsung, Dow Jones, and Apple. You might have heard of them. Constant Change provides a simple yet powerful agility model, training, and tools to help individuals and organizations adapt to change and build powerful and relevant futures. The company also offers a career decoder framework for mid-career job seekers so that they can uncover right-fit roles in the next stage of their careers. Marty Constant, welcome to the program. So happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for the intro. So, so Marty, as, as we, we often do with the podcast, I want to make sure that everybody understands understands kind of where we're where we're coming from here. Um, when we say experiment with a business, in your mind, what does that mean? Uh, well, just to provide context to my answers, all of my answers, Mike, is I am 
two things. I am a futurist and I am an optimist. So you are going to hear optimistic points of view. So what does it mean to experiment? It's actually testing out an idea or a concept that enables you to make your business better. That is uh, mainly what it is. And why does someone experiment? They experiment because something isn't working or there's a massive amount of change going on in the world and it begs the question, oh my goodness, I have to do something to keep up with this, to fix this, to change this. So I think certainly when I think of the term experiment, and I suspect many of our listeners do as well, they think of science experiments, right? The old vinegar and the baking soda thing, so you make your Play-Doh volcano erupt, that sort of thing. We think of those kinds of experiments. Um, what, if any, are the similarities between a scientific experiment or a scientific experiment process and a business experiment? Well, there's lots of different types of scientific experiments. You can look at scientific experiments that collect a lot of data over a period of time that looks backward as well as forward. And you could look at, you know, the difference between a scientific experiment and maybe one that we might do in our business would be something where you don't worry so much about legions of data and you worry more about doing something in an incremental fashion, doing a modest A-B test versus worrying about Statistically significant, if we all waited for statistically significant situations, and I'm so proud that I could say that without stuttering here, is we wouldn't be able to do any experimentation or pivoting at all. Um, There is a bit of educated guessing and lean product testing if anyone of your listeners is is, um, in sync with doing lean product tests. Those could be done with smaller groups of people. So let me go back. You said one thing I want to make sure that I understand. What what exactly is an A-B test? A-B test is a term that's used in statistics as well as um, I first learned about it in marketing when I was trying to test what was going to work to make a change. I also learned about it in uh, business school. So in doing regression analysis and and doing like, does this test work better or does this test work better? So in marketing, the simplest example is I'm doing an email marketing campaign and I've got five different headlines and I've got a lot resting on the open rate. So what you do is you conduct a smaller test. So say your, your big test, your big you know, email campaign is tens of thousands. You you conduct a smaller test. You do an A test with this headline, a B test with this headline, a C test with another headline, and then you take the highest open rate as a result of that smaller sample, and then run it on your big large program. Because sometimes a tenth or two tenths of an amount is going to make a difference on your rate of return. You know that that you bring up some really interesting points there, and I want to go back to your to your prior comment first before I ask about the A/B test because I think that's really important, and that is this notion of statistical significance, right? Um, statistical significance is important for some areas because if if you don't do that, it's literally a life or death discussion, right? They have statistical statistical significance for FDA testing. There is statistical significance for engineering, such as airworthiness and seaworthiness of aircraft and seacraft. There, you kind of want to do that, right? But um, you know, dealing with ni- you know dealing with ninety five percent confidence intervals and significance tests. Now we get to really geek out here, which is awesome. That's fine. Um, you know, for a lot of small businesses, even maybe larger ones, just isn't. I mean, it just isn't isn't realistic, right? And and then it goes back to the adage that, you know, done is better than perfect, I guess, right? That's correct. And if I think about 
it's all about the size of the company too. Like you were talking about, you know, I would want my airplane parts to, to be, you know, really be tested very well. Whereas, you know, something that I'm going to make an adjustment in my business, it's not as critical. Now, big companies, let's get to the point of big companies versus little companies, the big companies, the consumer packaged goods companies, those that make the food that we have on our shelves in the grocery store, they can do really large tests and they they could be significant about testing. Well, is this packaging going to work or this packaging going to work or the tasting of a product, of a food product. They can afford to do that. You know, we, we all want our chocolate to taste good, right? So they 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 have the luxury to do that. Whereas a smaller business, most, a lot of the businesses that I've worked in were smaller and they might only have the budget to work with a market research firm. Even if they're going to do some market research, they might they might research the entire sample size of 200 versus 25,000 or 50,000. Is it statistically significant? No, but it is important and it does tell you something. Um, And you you can do the same thing. I do it in when I'm doing um, a speech or a presentation, I'll say by a show of hands in this room of 200 people or 300 people, I ask them a question and I see the show of hands. I can guess whether it's roughly 30 or 40 or 50% that have raised their hand to a particular question. It's important to know that because it's going to make my content more relevant knowing what their answer to that question was. And, you know, I, I guess um, one thing that, that, that occurs to me as you were, as you were explaining that is I think experimentation has become much more popularized now, not not just because of coronavirus, but but because of the way technology has evolved in the last 20 years, not just communication, but fundamental business models, that the cost, the entry cost of experimentation now is so much lower than it once was, right? That it's 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 no longer, for example, the purview of Coca-Cola right? Who you could argue, I, I might argue ran one of the most disastrous experiments of all time, right? New Coke, basically. Um, and with all their resources, they still didn't get that right. But but now, be, because of the way, because of what people are buying and selling virtual product software as a service, the, the virtually nil marginal cost of email, social media, and so forth, you know, almost anybody can run an experiment of some kind, whereas that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. It's, it's, the, it's the experiment itself, but it's also the size of the experiment. Yeah. So let's go back to when Netflix first changed their model, and then they changed their model again and again. It was incremental, and to, to now we have it streaming. There was a point when it wasn't streaming. It was a lot of different things prior to being streaming. And then you would go to their website over a certain time period of how they would serve up choices for you and give you things that you wanted that you didn't even know that you wanted. How great is that? So that those were tests and incremental changes that weren't really risky. Um, They were, they were small tests and then they would change their website, not the entire revamp of their business model all at once, but it was incremental over time. So there's an incrementalism piece of it too. And, and, and let's not get this confused with making mistakes. This isn't the same as like, let's fail fast and all that. You know, we can have a totally different discussion about the value of an experiment and the value of giving people the opportunity uh, to really take big bets and risks and fail. So you touched on something too, and I, we've completely gone off script, but any, all our, our listeners know we've probably stayed on script longer than we normally do, but that's all right. Um, you know, that, that incrementalism is so important, I think. And, and I love your reaction to this, but uh, hopefully it's favorable. Otherwise my whole business thesis goes out the window, but no pressure. But I, you know, I, you know, I, I'm in the business of helping my clients become better decision makers over time. And, and even, and I tell them, I believe that even if, if you just become a 1% better decision maker over time, 
that that has over that period of time has a massive impact, right? So even if an experiment gives you information that makes your decision even just slightly better than a coin flip or even better, you, you create a culture of experimentation that habitually makes your decisions, all your decisions, slightly better than a coin flip. Yeah, you're still going to lose your share of bets, but because of the, those 1% additional bets that you win that you ordinarily would not have, there, there's massive value in that, isn't there? Sort of deceptively high value in that. Right, right. And, you know, it's to me, it's, it's a much lower risk to make a small tweak in your offering or to make a small price adjustment in your offering. It's a bigger risk when you do things. I was in a company that we were a mobile security company before mobile security was even needed, before the iPhone was invented. Like nobody wanted it. And we were trying to figure out our footing uh, back before 2007, before the iPhone was invented. And then when the iPhone was invented, we were still struggling with the market. And it wasn't until we narrowed and we went to the government entities um, to, to market this secure solution because we realized that it was the governmental uh, bodies that were going to invest in this first. So it was, a, it was kind of a big risk in a way for us to totally abandon our enterprise strategy. We didn't do, you know, small, medium businesses. It was enterprise and then it was government and it eventually became both. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a risk for a company to put all of its resources into government only. We had a totally different sales strategy. So that's a big deal. Whereas saying, you know, I'm going to charge 20% more or I'm going to do an introductory discounted fee for, uh, for buy it, try it for my services, that's much less of a risk. So let me change gears here because um, I, 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 I'm curious about something. Can Can any company, does every company have the capacity to competently conduct these business experiments or are there certain skill sets and maybe even mindsets and culture that a company must have in order to realistically undertake these kinds of experiments and do so meaningfully? It's a loaded question. I think if you want it, the, the more critical the information that's the result of this experiment, you're probably going to want to work with a professional, similar to how when I was customizing my Salesforce database, when I was working at Samsung, I worked with a professional to help me design uh, the customized version of the software. Um, so it, 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 it depends on what, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I think everyone can conduct an experiment. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to back off and say, put, put forth the soft skills that are necessary. I'm going to say it takes a lot of curiosity um, that's involved um, and it takes uh, you know, some patience and some impatience um, for, for setting it up so that you can, what, what is the length of time to run this test and to figure out if it works or doesn't work? I think as a small business person, I think that's probably the biggest problem is when to uh, jump ship on the test. And to say, you know, this this does this isn't achieving. Does do I need to do it like two months longer to really run this test, or do I need to to cut bait and and go forward? So I, I I've answered a lot of different aspects of your question, but again, it all it all has to do with size. I, I was running smaller experiments when I was working at the you know world's largest electronics company in the world. So I was running small experiences because guess what? Every big company has smaller divisions, right? We were working in a business to business security division of Samsung versus the big electronic consumer products division, which, you know, would be their devices themselves and equipment themselves. So um, if, if a company, you know, somebody listening to this podcast says, you know, this, this makes sense. We, we got to do some experimenting to kind of help us establish some kind of direction in some fashion. 
but they look at their own, they look sort of internally in their own company. So, you know, I, I don't know that we necessarily check those boxes. We can do it ourselves. Are there people out there? Is this what you do? I'm, I'm not, I'm, frankly, I'm not sure, but are there people out there that can, that on the outside that can be brought in to help companies run, you know, design and run and interpret the results of these business experiments? I, I think the answer is yes to all of the above. I mean, I worked in the space of um, technology most of my career, and we would um, we would hire the analysts in the in the space to help us understand our market, so that we could reasonably uh, decide what we were going to go after. That's, that's a pretty steep investment. You know, if, you, if you're hiring Gartner, for instance, just to go to their conference, you're paying $3,000 a head just for people to attend. And then, you know, for you to have an analyst that would come in and take a look at your business and ask you um, 20 questions and to help you strategize. So that, that's really in the form of a strategy session. So I think it, it, it just depends on how you want to do it. I don't know. It could be, you know, if you wanted to set up um, I've worked with people that that set up regression analysis. That's not my business, but I know people that do that so that you can help um, companies make uh, a decision that they're a little bit more comfortable with because they have more data. You know, they have bigger data sets and they're they're running the, the regression analysis, your dependent variable, your independent variable, all those kinds of things. So you can just have somebody that's a geek that can help um, set up someone that, that's a geek that's also understands um, setting up business strategy. Um, let, let me let me take a draw back here and and tackle a more fundamental issue. It, it seems to me that that businesses are are undertaking a risk somewhat in experimenting with their business and not necessarily betting the company, but you know, they are, I say they're taking on risk because they are making a commitment of some resources in order to uh, produce an unknown result. Um, and so, you know, my, my question, my question is, you know, is there to your mind, you know, how do you make the argument that it's worth taking that risk to get into the business of undertaking business experiments? So the the opportunity cost of not keeping your business fresh and current is huge. Um, it's it's death. Um, you know, we've seen it in, you know, Kodak. We've seen it in BlackBerry. We've seen it in companies that didn't make those decisions. Those are big companies. But let's, let's, let's come back to the smaller company size. Um, in I've, I've studied branding a lot and, and, you know, personal branding, business branding. And one of the things, one of the huge risks in not um, keeping yourself current from a branding perspective is you get stale. So let's not, not talk about the product. Let's just talk about how you market the product. So if you're not keeping it fresh and current and people don't feel that you're responding to market needs, just like we responded to market needs with the restaurant, you know, takeout and stuff like that. If those companies weren't adapting to what was going on in the market, they were going to get left behind. But I think what you're talking about is, you know, maybe it's not a pandemic. Maybe it's just, you know, garden variety change. You know, maybe it's just technology change. Well, I would suggest and really argue the point that we're going to have more change in the next 10 years um, than we've had in the last 100. So really take a look at what is it that you are doing to keep your business current? It's, it's, it's like the beauty of a river that keeps flowing. That, that's a beautiful thing. The stagnant pond is not doesn't smell so great. And it's not as interesting, right? It's like the clarity of the river and the brook that, that's going forward is much more interesting. And as I said earlier, I, I'm, a, I'm a fairly optimistic person. I'm inclined toward agility and flexibility. Um, and test and experimentation is just a part of that. Um, and, I, and I think if, if you looked at 
the successes of companies um, that did experiment, like, you know, Amazon, as it evolved and eventually took over what Sears had in a catalog business, their ability to experiment and, and take the buying process to the desktop is just a beautiful example of what it took um, to create something new, part disruption, part what the customer needs. It's like, what did we need during COVID? We needed really good takeout food. We, we, we suggested to ourselves, well, we're just helping the restaurants out. But guess what? Everyone is now doing more takeout than they ever did before. Do they really need it? I think they found that they really liked it. So it's been a very good thing for the restaurant takeout business. So this may be a, this may be a dumb question. But I'm going to put it out there anyway. And, and that, and that dumb question is, is it, is it obvious? Is it always obvious if an experiment succeeds or fails? And if it's not obvious, how do you, how do you make sure you even interpret the results of the experiment correctly? Depends on the experiment. Yep. Let's just say for the sake of our example that we wanted to accomplish something, we wanted to grow or we wanted to change consumer buying behavior or something like that. Um, and the, the, the result is going to be, was the goal, what are, what are we trying to do? Was the goal met? Like, you know, I, I, deal, I deal with job seekers. You know, one of the, the that's just a one-on-one, but like a job seeker is a business of one. And when they achieve not just any job, but they achieve a target company with reasonable compensation, they've achieved that goal, it, of course, is a success. And these are people that are employed maybe somewhere else that take the risk to get employed in a new opportunity. I think I find it's always easier to look at like a, a simple example and then work upwards and so if growth is what you're looking for, then you're measuring, you know, measuring revenues at the beginning of the year and the end of the year or revenues per employee. Uh, that's one way of doing it. Um, a lot of things that, that's happening right now in businesses, we have this great resignation going on. We have the um, employee experience. So people are leaving companies, certain companies and going to other companies their um, their experiment might be like, well, what is it that we can do? And they might be spending some investment on their employee experience, a better onboarding process, a better recruitment process. They get back to, they get back to the people that they didn't choose to hire, and they communicate to them, and so they they don't get bad reviews on Glassdoor, and there's all kinds of things that you could do that you could measure. Was this a successful initiative? You could do it with training. You know, you could have soft skills training or technical training. You invest for a certain segment of time and then figure out if that impacted your revenues or your retention rate, whatever you choose um, to decide to measure what's important to you. Um, are there... Are, are there any kinds of businesses that lend themselves well or better to experimentation than others? That's a really good question. I, I find sometimes like really big, you know, big banks sometimes, you know, will choose where they want to experiment. They might not um, be as risky with some of, some of their offerings um, yet they um, are going to have to be uh, because of blockchain and because of all of the, um, you know, the currency that, that, you know, alternative currency um, that's happening and getting rid of the middle person, middleman. Um, so even the institutions that maybe don't want to experiment um, are going to have to experiment. So, yes, I think some people are more risk averse in what they uh, don't want to change, but I think it's just a matter. I don't think that any business is necessarily immune. I haven't studied all businesses. I don't know 
as much about the energy business and the oil business and businesses that I haven't spent much time in. So it will be hard for me to respond. I can just tell you, um, I've spent most of my career in um, technology and now in the career, the career development and agility research space. So I'm more biased towards the, um, the flexible businesses that I've worked in and I've studied. And I've worked in businesses that have failed. <clears throat> so I, I have so, bad experience as well. That may be a separate podcast. Um, so, you know, it, it occurs to me as you, as you talk through this, one common thread, I think, and you know, please tell me if I'm wrong, is that in order for a business to be a successful experimenter, the one thing they must have, they must have a willingness and a capacity to measure. They must have a willingness to actually collect data and a willingness to kind of look at it and measure performance. Because I think, I think if you don't have that, it's just, you know, how, how do you, how do you experiment if you don't measure things? Right. It's yeah. It's the measurement piece. And it's also the quest for innovation. You know, we know that if you don't innovate, you become stale. So it's a combination of um, this willingness to measure and really set up set up the test of some sort uh, to determine if this is going to be um, successful. But I think I, I think I think it has more to do with the requirement for you to innovate and become become relevant and viable over the long haul. If you're not in some state of invention slash reinvention, um, all, all data will tell you that companies that we thought would never fail have failed. They eventually go. Someone told me 10 years ago, you know, eventually Apple's going to fail, Marty. They will. It's, it's, you know, IBM was a certain way, you know, back in the in the sixties and the seventies, and they're not they're different now, right? They're 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 associated more with, you know, services, and they're they're not they're not the company they're not doing the same thing they were before. So some companies become maybe different. Some companies become less than, um, you know, uh, Nokia, you know owned the feature phone market before smartphones came out and they decided not to get into smartphones. I mean, we could go, we could go down the line of companies that were dominant in their space. Does Nokia exist right now? Yeah. They're into network management and they do a lot of telecom network stuff and they do exist, but they're, they, they, they don't exist in the same space that they exist. So in a way they had, they were forced into adjacent industries, it's not necessarily that they said, oh, we're going to do this to expand. They were forced to either isolate and make make themselves smaller and not enter into the height. They were the largest, fastest growing handset market in the world at one time. Hard to, hard to believe how much that landscape has changed. Um, do, do companies... Is experimentation, do companies tend to gravitate towards experimentation in one particular discipline or another? For example, marketing or product development or manufacturing, finance. Are, are, there, are there some kind of business functions where experimentation seems to either be more prevalent or seems to work better than others? Well, I can speak to marketing because I spent so much time. I think there's been a willingness um, all along to experiment and to become, you know, the digitization of the universe, to be able to work with the digital market um, has, has really been, uh, I guess, a big uh, reason why marketers have been willing to experiment. Um, I will say there was a batch of marketers um, that I knew back in business school that went into consumer packaged goods and they didn't see themselves as uh, marketing technologists and digital and their, their careers were um, harmed uh, somewhat, you know, so they thought, well, I have people for that. And I said, no, I go, I know you're not pressing the button, but I always felt that you should know all this stuff. Um, so, and, you know, there were, 
some of these big companies, they said, digital marketers after the dot-com thing need not apply. Well, they were totally missing the mark on where innovation had. So there were, there's a segment with every you know, assumption that you make about a profession. So that's marketing. Um, I will say that if you look at med tech, fintech, everything that has the tech on the end of it now, which has been on the end of it for quite some time, um, they have had an appetite for getting themselves into a digital arena. And the next arena is going to be in the VR, AR arena. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't yet have a clue what that's going to feel like and look like in the third dimension, how we're going to experience the work around us, how right now we're sitting in front of computers. What is it going to look like in the future? So I think fintech, medtech, marketing tech, um, all, 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 the, all the items, you know, sci- scientific technology, anything that, that, that we've added tech to, which is pretty much across the board. So the minute you add tech on it, it becomes experimental. It becomes the future. Um, in, in finance, when they start to add the blockchain and, and all of the Bitcoin um, to this, it's, it's going to, there's going to be more experimentation. Um, are there, you know, are there, are there any ethical boundaries around business experimentation that you're aware of? Is that a con aware of, is that a conversation that's being had at all? That's not one that I've been exposed to personally, but I got to think it's out there. I mean, there's, there's lots of ethics going around everywhere. I mean, look at the ethical dilemmas we've, you know, been going through in the past year and a half since the pandemic and unrest across the country. So there's, there's lots of ethical dilemmas that are in existence today that um, have bubbled to the surface more dramatically than ever before. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think, I mean, I, I think of just anything to do with technology um, I think of um, implantable devices uh, that, you know, there's doctors across the country that are implanting devices inside themselves because they can't do FDA experiments. So this right. is happening. I mean, this is like, this is a thing. I don't know how I'd feel about implanting, you know, chips inside of my body, but it is going to be a thing. Um, is that an ethical dilemma? Uh, I think if you uh, read anything about, um uh, Harari, who wrote *Sapiens* and uh, you know the book about the future, um, he talks about a lot of these types of dilemmas in his book about the future. So anyone that's writing about the future right now is talking about dilemmas. Where we we're, we're cross the line, you know, like have have we injured our children? <laughs> have we have we rewired their brains to the point that there's just no attention span left? Um, you know. Do, do we do we long for a simpler time because of these <clears throat> ethical dilemmas that we've that, that we've crossed the line with humanity? Yeah, you know, but but by the time you factor in you know privacy and you know social media is teaching us now some really important lessons that I, I think as a society we kind of already knew but have forgotten about manipulation and influence, right? That that there probably are some ethical walls now that that are being addressed at least implicitly, right? In terms, you know, for example, I'm a company. I gather customer data. I told the customers it's going to be used for this. Now I want to go back and kind of mine that data for other information, right? Is that unethical? Do I should I be compensating the providers of that data, right, for that use? I you know I don't know. Is it is it unethical to um, I don't know, run a lottery saying, you know, if you participate in a survey, you'll get a hundred dollar Amazon gift card, but then I'm not, we'll just, nobody's going to win it. Right. That's you know clearly kind of unethical. And, you know, it's just opening up these whole new vistas, just, just as their ethics in terms, in terms of scientific experiments, I think there, there must be and will be conversations around what constitutes ethical behavior when it comes to a business experiment it has to be right. Yeah, I mean, there has to be. You, you've just, you know, you know, remarked on a lot of problems we have with big tech today. Is 
the, the data is being collected and it's, it's really not with our permission. It, it really isn't. It's, you know, it's might be buried somewhere in there, but you know, who knows what they're going to do with it. Who knows, you know, how elections will happen in our future, things that are manipulated by data, who knows what, um, you know, countries are going to have the influence um, in the way that we live and the way that, you know, we want to live. So there, there are a lot of concerns. Uh, but so, so yeah, anytime you have, I think it's more, it's not so much experimenting as much as it is data manipulation, which is the word that you use, the phrase that you use. So it, the experiment is one thing, but data manipulation is um, an, an insidious type of thing. You know, it's like we do the yeah. research because we want we want the result. And then we just we tell the people what we want them to hear. You know, we used to think like other countries did this. Oh, and not not our country. But, you know, what do you think? What do yeah. you think, Mike? Do you think, um, you know, do you think we're, you know, we're not so different than any other country that we thought, you know, manipulated. Oh, we're absolutely, we're absolutely not. I mean, the, the case in point, uh, I spent the early part of my career in the former Soviet Union. So I lived in Minsk for two years, lived in Kiev for two years in the early 90s. And uh, I had a shortwave radio. And so one of the things that I would do, because it was just as I, I'd studied Russian in school, but it's, it's different to being dropped in the country, having to use it every day and survive and work and stuff. So at the end of the day, I was exhausted. I just, I needed to listen to some of the English language for my brain to recover. And, you know, you listen to Voice of America. And we didn't beam Voice of America into you know, the Middle East and to the USSR because we're nice guys. We did that because that's a propaganda arm, right? There's a specific agenda. I'm not even saying there's a wrong thing to do, but but the idea that we did it just because we're such nice guys and we were just going to spend all those tax dollars to do that, you know, is is just, you know, it's just not realistic, right? Um, now, the information may be more true than, say, what Radio Moscow was, right? But at the same time, they're trying to achieve, trying to achieve the, sa the same end. What's yeah. interesting now is that the line now between propaganda and business experimentation is really blurred because the technology has allowed it to be blurred, right? And you can, whereas radio is a one-way medium, right? Now you can have conversations with millions of people and there may be bots on the other side and probably in some comical, some comical kind of, of circular piece of technology there are probably bots trying to manipulate bots and the bots don't know each other are bots basically right i'm sure that's happening and and so uh, you know unfortunately the, the 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 rewards are too great to not at least be tempted to manipulate and you know experiments experiments can take on a manipulative effect and and although the value of the experiment itself is 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 diminished significantly if not obviated if on the other hand, you're manipulating behavior in your favor, who needs the experiment? <laughs> you just make people do what you want them to do. I mentioned something earlier at the beginning of the episode, and that is that I'm just an optimistic person. And I tend to look at all that and, and think, okay, this is true. There's lots of manipulation, but experimentation and data and future of technology is just utterly exciting and fantastic. We are living in an incredible time to do a lot of great things. So I always end up, regardless of anything sinister that we could look back at our history of military and politics and all that kind of stuff, I always twist it back to like, well, you know, what's, what's the cost of focusing on that versus what we can be doing. So it's always about how can we, how can we do it for good? And uh, to assume, um, to assume the part that the, the 50% of human nature, that's really good to assume that we'll, we'll be better on the positive side of that. 
and that we'll use it wisely. I mean, even back to, you know, the 2001 Space Odyssey, it's like, which was the, the, the movie that kind of like, you know, where the computer took over. Yep. Um, it, was, it was a scary thought. The computer could override the human beings. Uh, however, um, you, you know, yes, they are getting smarter. And yes, these things are going to happen. But we have it in ourselves to make positive use of this. And, and, to fix, and to fix things like climate change and, and to do the things that are hurting right now and to say, oh, okay, we went too far in this direction. Let's do something about it. We're talking with Marty Constant, and the topic is, should I experiment with my business? Um, just have time for a few more questions before we let you go back to your day. But one question I, I wanted to make sure to ask is, uh, are you familiar with any kind of widely accepted system or set of best practices for conducting these business experiments? Is there a, is there a model out there with which you're familiar? Is it something that you like, or is there somebody who's a really good author on this? If I want to really start digging into the how and adopt best practices, how, how would I go about doing that? Well, I mean, you work with organizations with helping them make better decisions. So certainly, you know, that, that would be, where I would 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 look to it. it. Are there large organizations or big organizations that have, have used entities that have helped them? Absolutely. There's lots, there's consultants, there's very, um, I guess, uh, very smart people that have figured out how to do things and use the technology in the proper way. But I don't have any insights into that, Mike, except that I know in my work, both as work as a corporate person and as an ind individual business person now, I've always used consultants. I've always used specialists. Even when I was working in a compact team of the company that we built and we sold to a Fortune 100 company, even then I had at least seven to 10 um consultants that I was working with at any given time, yet we were a small company of like a, a hundred people. And I was working with seven discrete consultants. It was a lot of work to manage them, but I knew that we couldn't do it on our own. So this is available. Um, just like I hired a market research firm when I wrote my book, I had a smaller sample size, but I wasn't going to write a book that was an opinion book. I was going to write a book that actually looked at some data. And then, then I also interviewed 120 people as well. So absolutely. I know they're out there. I know people like you are out there that understand the power of um, profitable decision-making and wanting to mitigate risk and all that. I have to tell you, Mike, I keep on looking at you, you know, people can't see what I see, but that uh, Pac-Man, um, piece of equipment that's behind you uh, just brings up just absolutely wonderful, wonderful images of just pure fun. I know this is a deviation from your decision, but just had to say it. Well, maybe that'll thank you. Maybe that'll be a pod, another title of a podcast. Should should I have a fun background? Um, yeah, a little. I, since we're already off ramping here, I'll, I'll follow up on it. Um, my our former marketing director was very nervous that I would have this in the background because he said that nobody wants to buy serious professional services from a child. And um, I told him, you know what? In a, in a time of global pandemic, social upheaval and murder hornets, I think everybody wants to buy professional services from a child. Maybe a smart child who knows how to take out the trash every once in a while, but still a child. And um, when everybody, everybody, including today, in fact, I had a call with somebody from out of the country. Um, when they see these for the first time, their their eyes light up, their faces light up, and um, these are these are never going away. And I did not expect to have that that uh, positive reaction. Everybody loves them. Well, I hope they don't go away. I mean, <clears throat> what's there not to like about Star Wars? This is our history, right? This is our history. This is our history of innovation. It's our history of play. It's our history of fun. It's the systemic way that we were able to use certain aspects of video technology and move it up to the next level. Um, so what's there? I mean, it's, 
fam- family engagement. Uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff about that. Uh, I, I've worked in a lot of tech companies, and um, there's been a lot of toys that um, I've seen um, at at the desk of people, and it always gave me pure joy to be working with tech people that had all of these little. Um, um, you know, elements and, and stickers and everything sitting on their computers. It was delightful to do that rather than walking through a sterile environment. This was, to me, it's pure creativity. Well, once this whole thing is over, when and if it's over, we'll have to have you over and then you can, you can get the full tour. You're seeing a fraction of what's actually here. Um, Marty, we've covered a lot of ground today, um, and, and there are other questions we could ask, but I, I'm sure there are questions that either we didn't get to or questions that, that our listeners would have liked us to have gone in more deeply, but we, we didn't. If somebody wants to contact you to like explore this topic more, can they do so? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Two places, martyconstant.com, M-A-R-T-I. K-O-N-S-T-A-N-T, constant with a K, dot com. Lots of information there. And then I have an Agility Think newsletter on LinkedIn that has 30,000 subscribers. There's a lot of information. I write about agility. I write about the future. I write about some of the content that we've been talking about today. I write about creativity. Uh, So those are two areas that... Uh, I, I do most of my content and really the content, the, the contact engine is through my website. Well, very good. Uh, thank you so much. And um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Marty Constance so much for sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I am on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. <laughs>